0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: Welcome to Living Free on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kHz on your AM dial. Thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show about rooming houses and homelessness in Melbourne. Uh, My name's Bill, and for the next hour, my guests will be sharing their journey of recovery from active alcoholism. Uh, I'd like to welcome Michael and Kirby to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi.
0: Thanks, Bill.
1: As members of Alcoholics Anonymous, they're going to be sharing their experience with alcoholism and how AA has helped them. Um, Righto. So usually we sort of talk about what it was like growing up and when alcohol first became an issue um, and sort of how that fitted in with your family and what was going on at home. So, Michael, what was your first intro to alcoholism, or to alcohol, and, and why was that an attractive thing to do?
2: Okay, yeah, uh, well, I... I I learned to lie at a really young age, so about the age of uh, five or six. And I, and you know, I couldn't go down the street to buy my mum's smokes without coming back and saying that I'd uh, been swooped by a bird or nearly hit by a car or something to make my life seem a whole heap more interesting than I thought it was. And uh, and those lies, you know, I just lived my life in lies, and it worked. It made me feel better. It, it it got me friends. It did stuff. And um, and I knew it was wrong. It sat in the in the pit of my guts. And um. I went to school out in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne and I got a scholarship to go to a school in St Kilda and, uh, and it was the first opportunity I had to dump a whole bunch of friends and start again and I played that game of uh, juggling I hope those people never meet those people. Sort uh, of a geographical. I, it was guys. a geographical, definitely. <laughs> and it was the first time I you know, sort of got and then I thought, oh, I hope they never knew because I started this whole new friendship group in, you know, when I was 11 um, in lies again. And, uh, and I just always felt guilty about it. And, and what happened for me was that at the age of 13, I discovered alcohol and, um, alcohol being drunk allowed me to live with the guilt. And, um, and I discovered port, you know, and port was my first drink and a bottle of port. And, uh, you know, I was that kid. I was that kid that uh, went to parties with people in people's garages and, and, uh, other people were drinking beer and West Coast coolers. I'm showing my age, and uh, and and I was the kid there with a the bottle of port, and uh, and I didn't think that was strange. And that's that's when I discovered alcohol. That uh, it just allowed me to live a, a really dishonest lifestyle, um, and and it took away guilt.
1: Right. So what what were your friends doing at this point? Were they doing the same sort
2: of things? Uh, they didn't drink as much as me. Yeah. But, but they, they drank. But they, but they drank, yeah. yeah. Um, we were all experimenting with alcohol and we, were, we weren't doing it every day. We were just doing it on the weekends. <laughs> and, you know, as I, as I sort of went through school, I found the people who like to drink on Friday nights as well as Saturday nights. And then, you know, the ones <laughs> that, you know, we could raid their, their parents' uh, sort of drink you know, bar on a Wednesday perhaps. Or, yeah, that that sort of – they just grew, I, mean, I I really attracted people who wanted to drink like me. And uh, so my friendship groups changed based on the way I drank from probably the age of 14 or 15. And uh, and the people who didn't drink, I just didn't have much to do with them.
1: Yeah. Did people get sick of you? Well, eventually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah
2: ah. Yes, they did. Oh, yeah, because um, yeah. I'm also you know still lying and cheating and I'm yeah. stealing money to be able to fund it, um, to, the, the amount of, that I'm drinking because I didn't – and I have a part-time job as a as a, a kid in a supermarket, and so I have a little bit of money. But yeah, my behaviour is poor. Yeah, you know, I, I I drink, I get drunk, I do dumb stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, like anybody who gets drunk. But the problem I you know I realised looking back on was that whenever I drank, I got drunk. It wasn't a matter of they would have a couple of drinks and they'd get that horrible feeling where oh it's oh it's, it's I'm feeling a bit woozy and yeah. or, <laughs> or you know I'm, or or maybe I'll stop there and I just go it's starting to work yeah. and my whole attitude to that was completely different to theirs
1: <laughs> okay um, so Kirby how, what was your life experience as a you know I guess a young teenager and mm. how did you find alcohol.
0: Yeah, well, um, from, from the age of, I think I was about 12 and I remember just feeling distinctly different to everyone else. Um, I always had to be the biggest and the best at everything. Um, there was nothing that was ever sort of off limits for me. I I was a bit of a show off and, um, and I picked up my first drink at about 12 or 13 I remember we were, you know, just a bunch of girls and sitting around in a park and um, we had organised, I think they had some cigarettes and we had a big bottle of tequila and, um, you know, we were passing it around in the circle and it was just near a friend's house and, you know, when it came to my turn, I wanted to show everyone how it was done. So I, um, yeah, I chugged it all down and everyone else passed it around and had a sip and I you know, I remember thinking, oh, God, you guys are wusses, you know. Um, that night ended up, I was somewhat in blackout and um I ended up vomiting into a shoe and I was hidden away from everyone <laughs> when someone's parents came to pick them up. So that was the start of my drinking career, yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> it got better from there, I hope. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, um yeah, I started to get more crafty with finding the money, I guess, and um and buying more alcohol and and yeah, I just um just kept on drinking away my teens, yeah. yeah.
1: So what was like life like at school?
0: Yeah, um good question. I was a absolute nightmare. Um you know, I think I was probably going through a bit of a rough time with my parents' divorce and I was an absolute bully. Um I was I was awful to kids and to teachers and I didn't think that the rules applied to me. The rules just did not apply to me at all. Um I learned very young on how to manipulate and how to get my way and um I was very crafty. Um you know when I got to um when I got to about 17, um I decided that I was opting out of school. Um but I could, never, I could never concentrate, you know. I was very disruptive and um, it was just a social outing for me. Um, and, you know, it, it, I would smoke dope in the morning and go to school and wonder why I couldn't concentrate, you know. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was having a grand old time.
1: <laughs> so what was life like at home?
0: Yeah, um, well, at home, you know, my parents are divorced and um, my mum had a new partner and who, you know, I absolutely loved because it was good to see my mum happy and um, and there wasn't a lot of drama but mum was out a fair bit of the time so I could just, you know, um, drink at home or smoke dope at home um, when I wanted to, smoke ciggies and um, do as I pleased. You know, I was the kid that people would say, You know, I'm not too sure about you going to that Kirby's house. Um, I was like, what? Like, there's nothing wrong over here. This is what we do, you know. Um, So I was very independent. I remember, um, you know, getting my first job and I thought, you know, I don't need anyone now. I can buy my own cigarettes. (laughs) And that was at 14 and nine months. (laughs)
1: Right. Okay. Um, so, Michael, um, what's it like having to pinch money to get uh, to buy alcohol and fund your lifestyle as a as a teenager? Uh,
2: actually, my mum made it really easy. She just <laughs> she kept money in a top drawer of a chest of drawers, and I think my sister and I just always stole money from her. Like it was there. Well, like, she didn't have the money to steal. It was. I was. I talk to her about it now, and I and I don't know why she kept it there. She she just always put money in this top drawer, and we just always took it. Maybe she knew. She, she might, maybe. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and she loved us so much. She funded <laughs> my drinking. Um, yeah, I, I'm not sure, but the it re, it required a level of dishonesty, and then just blatant denial to to be mm. faced with it. With to, to, you in a household where you've done this. No, I haven't. Yeah. Let me look <laughs> you in the, And and I practiced that for years yeah. in multiple different. You know, disciplines at work, in life, at home. With you know, as I got older, it was just the no, I haven't, mm. no, I haven't, and and I convinced myself that I was a good bloke. <laughs> mm. You know,
1: but growing up in an alcoholic situation, in as a child, mm. you learn that lie. You've got to lie to survive, and it just becomes part of you. And plus your parents are always saying don't tell anybody about this and so you've, you know, you're sort of forced to lie in some ways mm, <laughs> it yeah. just becomes a way of life
2: yeah definitely my 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 mother's a heavy drinker and she, she given sufficient reasons she could stop and she did later in life but she she was a heavy drinker she was my drinking partner when I was through you know for 20 25 years she whenever wow. we got we, whenever we dr- got together we drank yeah. and she drank like me um, but I've seen her stop you know of her own volition mm. um, and my father um, you know he 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 came to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, nearly 40 years ago, and he stopped drinking. And he doesn't; he's not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous anymore, and he mm. hasn't been for 35 years. But, but he he you know he drank the way I drank. Mm. It was just, and, and you're right; the rules are completely different in the household. You know, I I was asked to do things as uh, an eight-year-old uh, to to make dinner and do things that uh, as an adult would do, and uh, and I was only eight.
1: Mm. Yep. So you left high school.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I passed. You know, I passed school somehow, and uh, and went on to go to, to university and survived a week and just and <laughs> and just I just drank through it. And at that stage, I moved house and moved in with my father, and uh, and thought this was all going to work out. And I finished school, and I and I, I sorry, I finished. Um, I went to university and I left. I left at Easter, and I got a job and I started earning money and I moved out. I was living in a share house with some friends in in Brighton and uh, and it was just a party zone. And that you now that that didn't really change. I guess I just moved houses a lot from the age of of uh, seventeen to to twenty three. Probably lived in ten or twelve different places. You know, somehow scraped together enough rent, um, and you know. I, that's the, that's that's the way. In the end, I met a woman who, uh, you know, told me she liked me, and it was enough. And uh, right. and, uh, <laughs> and she, she rescued me from the streets of Fitzroy, and uh, from outside the Evelyn Hotel, and uh, and and she said, "I know you're an alcoholic, but I can change you." Wow, <laughs> what a pickup! <laughs> it worked for me. <laughs> I'll fund it. <laughs> oh,
1: great. So Kirby, you eventually got sick of living at home.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Um I thought, Oh, I can, I can, uh, get out of here. I just, you know, I, I really wanted to study. I wanted to study psychology, um, in year 12 and I just couldn't, I just didn't have the, you know, a quiet enough mind to be able to read something or to take something in. So yeah, at 17, I, um, I'd been on a holiday to Bright and I met a guy and, um, and he lived in Melbourne and I decided that I was going to move down to Melbourne. Yeah, so I moved to Melbourne um, with him and his parents. Um, and, you know, the thing that was going to fix me in the way that I felt was material possessions and um, and my career. So I set out to buy a house when I was 19 and thought, you know, that's going to fix all of my problems. And, um and I'll show them, you know, uh, I'll show everyone that I can do it on my own and I'm a grown-up and um, and I'm vastly independent. Yeah, so I did that and... Um, so you got a job? Yeah, I had a job. You know, I moved down to Melbourne without a job and I ended up getting a job in a law firm actually. Um, and I did that for a while. Then I moved into recruitment... But the thing that really set my materialistic um, patterns in motion was when I got into the property industry, and um, you know I thought there's a lot of money here, and I want a lot of it. So yeah, yeah I started working towards my career there.
1: Okay, so the focus is on money. Yeah, yeah the
0: right. whole, yeah everything was going to be fixed by money. Right. Um, mm.
1: Okay, so. So you've got the you've got the job, you've got the lifestyle. So mm. what's going wrong?
0: Yeah, so from the outside it looked like I had it all. You know, I had the the long-term boyfriend and I had the house and I had the car and I had the great job and um I was just dead on the inside. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um you know, I I looked around and I just thought if this is what life's all about, then, then I want to check out because I, I just had nothing on the inside. And, um, you know, at 19, I, I think I was 19 or 20 and I wrote my first suicide note. Um, and I, I don't even know if it was a suicide note at that time, but I was just so, uh, broken and lost. And, um, and then I, you know, that got me into seeing psychologists Um, I spent a lot of years, um, seeing psychologists and trying to figure out what was wrong with me. And did that help? Yeah, look, it did. I guess it, it led Mm. me to, it led me towards, um, wanting to personally grow and wanting to change. Um, so it, it, did open up my mind and, and it did teach me a different, different coping mechanisms, I guess. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't the overall answer.
1: Yeah, because my understanding of psychology, I've done a little bit myself as well. Yeah. Um it's it's about behaviour modification mm. and we can't do that. Yeah. And so how did how did that play out for you? Did you try control?
0: Um with alcohol, you mean? Or no, just, just try in to general? just
1: try to control your life generally. Is you know, it's Oh it's yeah.
0: I thought I was fully in control of everything that happened, I think. Um yeah, it's, you know, I, I did learn new behaviors with the psychologist and, um, you know, learned about myself and, and family patterns and all that sort of thing. So that it was really great. It was really great at the time, um, you know, in my headspace that I was in, I was able to kind of get a little bit of clarity to keep on moving forward. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, You're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Um, Podcasts of the show are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash livingfree and also available on iTunes. There's about 32 available from the last year or so. Podcasts of other shows on 3CR are available on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcasts. If you've got a question or a comment about the show, then you can call the station on 9419 8377 or send us an email at 3crlivingfree at com. I'm talking to Michael and Kirby about drinking um, and AA or Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so, Michael, you've pretty much um, out, out in the world, just a bit over 18 or so. <laughs> so, what's life like? Out in the real world.
2: Oh, okay. I'm I'm not very good at it. I think you know. So I'm trying lots of different stuff. I've got a skill set that I'm bringing to to you know a challenging. Actually, I I left school. Actually, I lie. I came to. I left school at, at a really good school I went to, and so on my resume it said I went to a really good school. Yeah. And so in the middle of the 80s, I just changed jobs. I changed jobs and changed jobs. And it was actually a time when I could just get up and leave and get another job. And it looked good because of the school that I'd gone to. And, um, and I left jobs just before I got sacked. Like yeah. there was just, yeah. you know, and the days that I just didn't show up at work and I, just, I didn't ring them or anything else. I had somebody sack me with a letter under my door uh, at my house, so they came out to my house and put a letter under my door um, because i wouldn 't answer the, and you know there was no mobile phones, so, so i wasn 't answering the phone, and it may have been disconnected and uh, and, and and i wasn 't answering the door, and they were knocking on it. We know you 're in there, Michael, yeah. <laughs> you know, and uh, your car 's downstairs and uh, and and that I just did that that you know that I moved I moved house, I moved jobs I, and and i it wasn 't that difficult to do and and I said, I, I I met a woman and uh, and I got married at the age of twenty four and uh, and then I had an opportunity. She she took a redundancy from work and uh, and we went overseas for a long for a period of time. And I was unemployable at that stage. I I couldn't get a job. She actually got me a job at where she was working, and uh, just coming in and filing stuff. And you know I had a good education that led to being able to file paperwork into a filing cabinet. Yeah. <laughs> and um uh and and yeah I just. I, And I went overseas, and I came back from being overseas, and I didn't have to drive for you know seven or eight, nine months when I was away. So it was just at it was the peak of my drinking and and drugging, over over in Europe, and uh, and I came with no responsibilities, and I came back and and I got a job, with somebody who, you know, and I was I must have been uh, 27, and um, and I started doing the things that grown ups do. I got and we decided to have children. And so I had you know, a daughter in 1996 and I had another one in 1999. And um, and I started earning a decent income and uh, my wage was increasing. And, and, and I was going to work and every day I got drunk. And I, at the end of the day, every day I got drunk, went to bed, got up in the morning, managed to do work with that drinking and started drinking at between 5 and 5.30 every night and come home. And it was just Groundhog Day for probably – from the years of 2000 to 2008 when i when i stopped drinking i've you know my my daughters have got older um the i drank drove every day like every day i drove i got in my car at the end of my day at work and i drove home it took me an hour and 15 minutes it was a half a bottle of vodka drive you know, my special skill was being able to mix it into a coffee mug, a mm-hmm. travel mug with ice, with cordial and water, and roll a smoke and not spill a drop and not crash my car. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, you know, that was, the, that was my skill. Yeah. And, um, and I was getting paid. You know, I, I had a feeling that, you know, I'm bringing enough money home. I'm paying the mortgage. Leave me alone. Let me drink the way I want to drink. And, and I was completely unavailable to my family. Um, and at, the, at that stage, if you weren't drinking in my car and you weren't drinking in my garage, you weren't drinking with me. And and I'd lost the ability to find people to drink with. I'd burned all my friends. There was no one left. And uh, you know the people I worked with were paid enough money to put up with me. And uh, and my family weren't talking to me. My kids were at 11 and 8 at the end of my drinking, and they, they were scared of me. Mm. And, and my wife had pretty much resigned herself to the fact that that's what I – and she just said, "You shouldn't drink." No one ever told me actually you should change your drinking. Anybody who saw me and and knew me drunk just went, "You're the sort of person you just shouldn't drink," mm. and uh, and that's and it was just lonely. It was amazingly lonely. I had this this ability to drink a lot of alcohol, and uh, and and not and I couldn't share that with anybody. I couldn't tell yeah. anybody about this amazing skill I had. Yeah. <laughs> But you know I, I'm also running a separate credit, credit card from my wife so that she, I'm hiding how much um, money I'm spending on it. My boss is giving me um, my holiday bonuses in cash so that I can go and stock up. Um there's <laughs> my whole life is revolving around my drinking and I'm you know I'm I'm about to turn 40.
1: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. It sounds like um quite a lifestyle. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Life of luxury. <laughs> so Kirby, uh, back to you. Um so you've been to the psychologist, you've tried a few things.
0: Mm, yes, yeah. so I've been to the psychologist and tried <laughs> tried a few things and um and realized that it was, you know, it was my partner's fault and the fact that I, I was tied down too young, you know. Mm. Um I shouldn't have a mortgage, I shouldn't have um, a car, you know, it's just far too responsible, far too young and um, so I sell the house and get rid of the boyfriend and buy a sports car (laughs) and that's going to fix all my problems because now I'm going to go out in my sports car, I'm going to live on my own and I'm going to drink the way that I want to drink Um, I'm going to party because that was my problem. I hadn't partied enough and that's why I was so unhappy. Um, And these are the things that I was telling myself. Um, You know, I was working in the property industry, so I was working Saturdays and Sundays and um, I was going out Thursday night, Friday night and Saturday night and having a blast driving drunk in the mornings to work. And it didn't even, you know, uh, resonate with me that I was still drunk um, I thought I was just hungover, but you know, when you get home um at five o'clock and you have to be at work at eight thirty, yeah. um I think you're still drunk if you've been drinking for ten hours. It's
1: a bit of a stretch, isn't it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so um yeah, so I, I do my job and um and I've got enough money to keep on drinking and then um start drugging the way that I want. And you know, I I had a lot of fun during that time. You know, there was probably about three years where I thought I was having the time of my life. Um, And, you know, I had arrived. I I, I had very limited responsibilities. Um, I had no care for um, anything really except for chasing the adrenaline of drinking and drugging and partying the way that I wanted. And that's what it was like. It was like an adrenaline um, I was so excited for, to to take up this hobby at every chance that I could. It was yeah. my only hobby, really. Yeah.
1: So, how did it impact on your work?
0: Um, look, I don't. I think it it probably did impact on my work, but I was in complete denial. You know, I just kept on rocking up and um, and and going to work, but eventually, you know, I thought to myself that you know, I'm better than this job and I, I moved jobs. Um, I, I changed jobs a lot and, um, I did a geographical and I moved up to Queensland. Um, and you know, I decided that I was working so hard that I needed to have some time off and, um, (laughs) and hang out in the pubs up in the Gold Coast. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, that didn't work out and I moved back, back here, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I did change around jobs a lot. It was the jobs problem, you know. It was, um, everything was always someone else's problem. It, it, you know, a, a big black hole in my soul and I couldn't see it. I just, I couldn't see what the problem was.
1: So did you try and stop drinking?
0: Um, when I, I think when I got to about 27, um I wanted to stop, um, or it might've even been younger. And I met a guy and, um, and he didn't drink the way that I drank. So I decided that I would stop drinking altogether. So I went on, um, you know, a big protest of myself and I'm going to change my life around and I'm not going to drink, um, anymore. So I'm not going to drink for a year. And if I don't drink for a year, then, you know, Oh, oh.
1: It's under control. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's completely under control. So um, I didn't drink for a year and um, and so I got rid of the boyfriend because I got sick of not drinking and that's not how life's yeah. supposed to be lived. Life's supposed to be lived through drugs and alcohol, you know, and experiencing things and I wanted new experiences all the time. Um, so I got rid of him and um, and off I went again. And I could drink the way that I wanted to drink. You know, I moved houses a lot and, you know, it was the house's problem or it was the job's problem or it, it, it was, you know, it was everyone else's problem. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, a, a lot of people think that if you just don't drink, if you choose not to drink, mm. then you're not an alcoholic. But <laughs> it's, it's not that, is it? Because it, it's not a matter of either not drinking or drinking. It's a matter of not being able to decide when you drink and when you don't drink.
0: Mm, Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, before I got into Alcoholics Anonymous, I was um, on my own for eight months without a drink and I was dead on the inside and I didn't want to socialise with my old friends um, as much because I knew that there would be alcohol involved and um, I knew that I couldn't... Well, I thought I couldn't live a happy life without alcohol, but I certainly couldn't live with it anymore. Um, you know, I for years I tried switching my drinks. You know, I'm not gonna, you know, it's the wine's fault. I'm not gonna drink the wine. I'm gonna drink the beer because then when I drink the beer, I'm going to get bloated and then I'm gonna stop drinking. But you know, in reality, I put one drink in and um, it doesn't matter what it is, and I'm often and racing and I can't guarantee my behaviour.
1: Mm. So, did you drink to blackout? Is it? That-
0: Uh, no, no, I drank, I didn't drink to blackout. I hated blackouts. Um, I was a blackout drinker, but I absolutely hated blackouts because I'm a control freak and I really needed to know what I did the night before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I drank to get to a certain point. I always thought that it was three drinks, three or four drinks and get to that certain point and, um. You know, I would have adrenaline running through my veins. I could do whatever I wanted and um, I thought that I was, you know, the ant's pants. Um, But, you know, it never stopped at four. If I got to four, it was one, two, three, four, and then pretty much the floor.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So what was it like the next day? What did you think after, you know, trying to control it?
0: Oh, uh, it was awful. It was always always awful the next day, you know, even from when I was twenty four when I was drinking then. Um I would wake up the next morning and my girlfriends, um, you know, would all stay at each other's house or something and I would wake up the next day, we would sit around, we would order pizza or something gross and um for our hangover and we would be watching a movie and I would be thinking to myself, oh, my God, I wish I was dead. Like I was – I wanted to check out. I didn't know where I'd been, what I'd done, um, and it was just a a hideous feeling. It was just absolutely um, soul-destroying. Everyone else was sitting around watching the movie and I realised looking at them that they didn't feel the same way that I did. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, Michael, so when you ran out of drinking friends – or people who drink with you mm. <laughs> what what did you do? What was your next logical step?
2: I just drank by myself yeah but, but i I that at a young age i would moved house and everything I owned lived in one room and uh, and i 'd have everything in one room and i'd just drink in my own room and uh, and move from house to house and you know I I'd describe it to my children as uh leaving no evidence, so i'd you know share a house with people and then i'd sneak out. And I'd make food, and I clean it all up, and put it all away, and go back into that room. Okay. And I still, I still live a bit like that. And um, and uh, but that that's you know, I, I just drank by myself. Yeah. There was um, and I and I, so it was a real fantasy land. I just I listened to music. I listened to really depressing music, um, but I thought it was up and um, you know, and bohemian and all this sort of stuff. And did but it was just lonely, you know, lonely to drink by myself. It was very rare. At the end of my drinking, there wasn't anybody who I knew who drank like me. Yeah. Um,
1: Did you think it was strange, you know, the way you drank, or not?
2: No, I, I had never experienced it any differently. So, yeah. um, actually, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, they talk about it in in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that the the, the abnormal became normal, and yeah. uh, and that's exactly as it was for me. I just I I just accepted, I'd surrendered to it, the fact that I was going to drink this way and I was going to die. Um, you know, as I I was 105 kilos, my skin was falling off my own body with psoriasis. I was um, I was a mess, and um and I just accepted that that it was never going to get any better than that. I that's the way I drank and that's the way I lived my life. Alcohol fit into the way I lived. It wasn't, I you know I didn't aspire to any better. I I don't know. I just I, I surrendered. Okay.
1: Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking to Michael and Kirby about recovering from drinking and how AA or Alcoholics Anonymous can help with that. Um, so, Michael, you've sort of got to the point where your kids are a bit scared of you. So does that trigger anything in your life?
2: Yeah, it does, yeah. it's. So I'm not physically... I'm not a, a physically... Uh, aggressive drunk. Um, I'm just, I'm a smart ass and, uh, and I have a really sharp tongue and uh, and I'm sarcastic and and condescending and, you know, I keep people in place with a, a very good vocabulary which I seem to have lost today yeah. and um, and but I, I, I and I'm aggr- aggressive verbally yeah. and um, <clears throat> so my kids, yeah, I have a moment of clarity and I see that they're scared of me when I'm, you know, I'm drunk at 9.30 in the morning on school holidays and I'm and I've taken some time off to be with them. And I and I just see it and I go, oh, okay. And I did. I made a decision that I would stop drinking and uh, on that morning. And that night I was drunk. And I'd already started. They, they said I was drunk at the time when I made the decision. And so the next day I wasn't going to drink. And that night I was drunk. And the next day I made a decision I wasn't going mm. to drink. And I never tried that. And, and I just couldn't believe that with all the willpower at my disposal, I'd made a decision. I was really serious this time that I'm going to stop drinking. And, um, and I was drunk again. And yeah, and I, and I probably told my wife that I was going to stop. And I told my kids I was going to stop and I just couldn't do it. I couldn't work out why I couldn't stop when I, when I told myself that I would. So I decided to go and see a doctor and, um, and I went to the doctor and I said, I have a problem with drinking I'm, and, uh, and I'm a little bit depressed. And they asked me how much I drank and I said, and for the first time in my life I was honest, I said, oh, I drink about 3.6 litres of alcohol a week. And they go, it's a lot like, a, no, you don't understand. Yeah. It's a 700ml bottle, and it's 40% alcohol. It's 280ml. And if you multiply it by seven <laughs> bottles a week, there's yeah. 1.96 litres of alcohol. And then there's 15 litres of red wine and 11% alcohol. But it's 1.65. And you add the 1.65 <laughs> to the 1.97, and you come to around about 3.6 litres of alcohol a week.
1: Yeah.
2: Bugger the stuff they're mixing it with. Yeah. And uh, And the doctor sort of goes, oh. And so they sent me off to a drug and alcohol counsellor and and the drug and alcohol counsellor recommends that I go to a rehab and I think, whoa, it's not that bad, <laughs> really, <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> really, like I, I get that there's a problem, but, and, um, and so I, I was checked in and, and, you know, I was really lucky, I was really amazingly lucky that, that my wife had taken out per, uh, private health insurance because, you know, I, it's the, expensive. The cost, yeah. it unbelievably expensive. And you know the amount of people now who are, are mortgaging their houses to get their kids, you know, addicted mm. kids into rehabs and things like that. So, so I was really lucky. And and when I was there, I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, and uh, yeah, that's and that's changed my world. I, I, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous knowing it was about. I knew AA wasn't Athletics <clears throat> Australia. Yeah. And, uh, and 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 I really, you know, I I knew it was about not drinking, and and I. I sat there in a meeting, and uh, my first meeting, and there wasn't a lot of people there, and and uh, but they talked about, you know, they talked about dishonesty, they talked about loneliness, they talked about how they felt when they were sober, and I just I just felt like I was at home, and and I'd never felt like that. They told me that they asked me to come back. I went, really, you're kidding? I haven't been asked to come back anywhere for a long time. <laughs> and yeah, and someone shook my hand at the door and welcomed me in, and I'm sure they told me their name. And I still do see those people around, and. And, yeah, and I just I just felt like uh, you know, there, it was a social scene that I didn't have but also there was all these people, there was, it was a safe place to be whilst they, after I'd now made this decision. These people had made a decision to stop drinking and they were doing it and they were happy about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah. wow, that's just amazing. And uh, and there must be something on offer here to be sober and happy because I, I think, you know, alcohol's got a bad name because I don't really have a problem with alcohol. I have a problem with sober. Yeah, and alcohol fixes my problem with sober, yeah, yeah. and uh, and because I don't do life really well sober, and and so these people were showing me that they could do a sober life happily and productively, and and they told me that you know what I, I knew that what I really wanted to do is I wanted to be wanted, needed, and loved, and be a, a, a productive member of the community. It was I wanted to be a part of the world. I'd separated myself from it by drinking by myself in my car, in my garage. Mm. I'd separated myself from my family, from my, everybody around me. So AA introduced me to that, and that was, uh, that was awesome.
1: Okay. Thank you. Um, so how about you, Kirby? So you sort of – you got sick of being in a relationship. You got out. You got sick of mm. being out of a relationship, <laughs> <laughs> sick of being at work. Uh, so – How's it progress?
0: just sick of all of it, really <laughs> um, yeah, look on you know, I, I was trying to quit quit drinking for a long time, and um and i just I didn't know how I could stay stopped, you know, my only hobbies in life was to go out and get drunk and have a party, um go out for dinner and get drunk um get drunk at home watching a movie, Uh, (laughs) everything was getting drunk and um, I didn't have any hobbies. So when I put the drink down, I didn't know what to do. Um, I wasn't getting any joy out of anything because I was um, just broken. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you try and stop? Yeah, yeah. So I I tried to stop um, for years. For years, I tried to stop, and you know, I stopped by myself um, for eight months prior to coming in to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I just, um, at the start, I was I was okay because I was sworn off alcohol. You know, I was scared. On my last um, bust, I woke up somewhere that I didn't know where I was. I hurt someone very much, and I had um, taken um, a drug that I didn't know what it was that I took and I'd put myself in danger. And that was really, um, some kind of weird, um, spiritual awakening. I knew I couldn't do it anymore. Um, I, you know, after that, I tried some controlled drinking, um, under the supervision of my partner. And that was like hell on earth. Like, why would I want to have one or two drinks? Um, I'd rather just have none or give me everything. Um, So I, yeah, I just chucked in the towel and I was sober by myself for eight months. um, Like I said, and it was okay at the start, but then towards the end of the eight months, I just I could I just didn't have any interest. I had nothing left, and um, a friend of mine said, "Well, why don't you try going to Alcoholics Anonymous?" and I thought to myself, yeah, I can go there and, you know, figure out what's wrong with them and, you know, help them. I can help these people. I was a big helper of other people yeah. because I didn't have any interests. Um, you know, codependency is a part of my my story as well. Um, I don't have a problem but everyone else around me does so let me fix yours yeah. <laughs> um, because it makes me feel good. And um, I went into Alcoholics Anonymous and I sat in the seat and um, when I first walked in, I knew it was a women's group and, you know, I'd always preferred to stick with the guys. Um, but I wanted to go for, to a women's group for some reason. And, um, and I went there and they were all really friendly. And I thought, wow, this is weird. <laughs> what a bunch of weirdo. Um, so we sat around in a circle and I didn't know what to expect, but they're all smiling and, um, you know, and all of a sudden it came to me and I said, my name's Kirby and I'm an alcoholic. And, um, and I've said to myself, how did I just say that? And then I nearly fell off my chair. And, um, you know, I had some great relief when I said that as well, because I was in complete denial. I... You know, I no way did I think I was an alcoholic. I, I held down a, you know, I had a job. I had money coming in. Um, I had a car. I had, um, you know, more a mortgage. I, you know, I had all of this stuff that just didn't tie it back to being an alcoholic for me. I thought an alcoholic was someone who was on a park bench with a brown paper bag and was completely homeless and um that just wasn't my story and, and all all these people in you know, Alcoholics Anonymous did not look like that <laughs> so um yeah so then started my my journey of recovery.
1: Okay thanks um so Michael when you came to AI what was it like in the first year or so?
2: Uh, I was a nutcase. So, um, so I put down my best friend and uh, – and, and, Tried and to I, do without it. I tried to do without it. So, yes, yeah, so so, um, it's explained to me at Alcoholics Anonymous that I suffer from this powerlessness over alcohol that once, once I put it in me, I can't stop. And that really made sense to me. I went, yeah, I can see that. And then it says that, um, that my life's unmanageable. And I go, mm, it just needs a little bit more work. And so I go to – I att- attempt to manage my life and uh, bringing all the skills of a 41-year-old man, you know, well, actually a 13-year-old boy in the body of a 41-year-old man, mm-hmm. to, that, uh, to that task. And, you know, and I, I burned my relationship with my wife to the ground uh, in the first year. Uh, you know, and I'd done a lot of damage in my drinking, but the first year of um, not drinking, I was terrible. And I was angry, and, and and the problem for me was also I lost a lot of weight. I lost forty kilos in my first year from not putting alcohol in my body. I physically I got well really quickly. My ego went through the roof. I thought I was, you know, I thought I was it, hitting a bit. And uh, <laughs> and you know, you've asked me to stop drinking. I've done that. What's your problem? Mm. And um, and and I wasn't getting what I saw other people in AA. They were happy, and I wasn't. I was miserable, and. And I couldn't work out why things weren't going my way. And, yeah, so my first year was terrible. I just uh, – I didn't drink. I went to, you know, I went to every AA meeting I could get to. I went all over Melbourne. You know, it was it was good for me. Uh, it wasn't good for my relationships. You know, my, my kids – my my kids – Go to a fellowship with it, uh, to Al Anon, and uh, which is uh, for people who have an alcoholic in their life, and they share their experience about the alcoholic that's in their life, and uh, and they don't talk about me when I'm drinking. They talk about me when in my first year of sobriety, what a nutcase I am. I can't make a decision. I can't stick with it. I can't sit still. The house is amazingly clean. Yeah, um, yeah it's, you know. But I got more. I lost more points on the road in my driving in the first year than I had done in the previous ten years of drink driving. Yeah. yeah. Um. There's just I'm angry. I'm uh, frustrated. Um, you know, uh, yeah. That, that I, I'm I'm just prone to misery. I'm just. It, it's. I'm not getting better. I, what all has happened is I've stopped drinking, and, and and it isn't what's on offer. When I because I'm looking around, and what's on offer is much better than this uh, at AA, and I and I haven't taken that up.
1: Mm, okay. Uh, so how about you, Kirby? What was the first year like in AA for you?
0: Mm, um, the first year was great. You know, I, I had really surrendered to alcohol when I came in it. Um, I just needed a new way of life and I didn't have that. I didn't know how to live. And, um, you know, I just did the suggested things and that was, you know, I think it took me about two or three months to get a sponsor, um, and start working the steps. And I just got around to as many different meetings as I could um, and, you know, listen to as many stories as I could. And it's, it's an absolute, it's my social circle now, you know, it's, it's, um, it is my life. And, you know, you know, someone asked me to, to share, um, to guest share one time. And, and I said, are you sure you've got the right person? I don't have anything to share. You know, I've got nothing. And, um, they said, yeah, you do. And, you know, just to have such a great support network of people who think the same as I do, you know, um, like Michael said before, you know, drinking was my solution to my living problem. Um, my, my problem centers in my mind and, you know, whether that's obsessive, compulsive, self-centeredness, whatever it is, you know, as soon as I get out of myself and get out of my own way, um, I start to have a life. I don't know how it happens and how it works. Um, you know, I do ask myself that sometimes, sort of question myself. But you know what? At the end of the day, I've got a whole new life now. Like I've got brand new friends and I have a great connection with them. And there's nothing wrong with my old friends. Um, you know, I guess I just prefer to surround myself in a circle that is not focused on alcohol anymore. And, and that is truly amazing for me. That's just uh, what the...
1: Yep. <laughs> so what about relationships?
0: Uh oh yeah, so relationships um I you know, relationships were another addiction for me I think. It was a codependency and you know, in recovery now I you know, I haven't had a relationship um for a while now and just getting to know myself is really bizarre, you know, not having someone else to deflect myself from um or, you know, take care of them rather than looking after myself, it's an absolute miracle. Yeah. I don't know how to do life without um, without a man in my life usually and and I'm doing that now and I've got other interests and it's, yeah, it's nothing short of a miracle to be <laughs> honest. <laughs> okay.
1: And how about you, Michael? How have things changed for you now that you've been sober for a while?
2: Um, yes, yeah, so I'm... I'm I'm an active member in my own life so I was the great viewer of my own life I sat there and I passed judgment and looking in from the outside and I participate in my own life every day I'm you know my daughters are now 21 and 18 they've made decisions to live with me for the last few years um they've been an active part of my recovery I'm in a relationship that I've been in for you know coming up on seven years uh you know I'm i I'm would have thought I would tell you when, when, in early days in Alcoholics Anonymous that, that my life was my recovery and then my family, then my work. And uh, and what I discovered over time is that my, my life actually was my work and everything else had to fit in and around it. And, uh, and what's happened is I just had a whole complete change of priorities in my life. I, I earn less money than I did when I got here. Um, but it's enough and uh, that's not a big deal. And, you know, I participate... In Alcoholics Anonymous, I, and and I learned some skills here. I've really grown up. You know, I'm I'm 51 years old, and uh, and there's an expectation in my life that I will be a responsible adult and make responsible decisions. Yep. So I'm great to be grateful to be doing it. Thank you. Mm. Okay.
1: Well, that brings us to a close. Um, so if you'd like to contact Alcoholics Anonymous, you can call them on 1300 222 222, or go online at aa.org.au. That's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Michael and Kirby for coming into the 3 CI studio this afternoon and sharing their Alcoholics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovering from food addiction and we'll be joined by some members of Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. Stay tuned for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring Black News and Views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Thanks for listening to the Living Free program. (laughs) Oh. <laughs>